0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and the rock continues on TIJ with a Canadian rock legend. Randy Backman is here of the Guess Who and Backman Turner Overdrive. Does this sound familiar? Ooh. Yeah, it's American Woman, the Guess Who's number one song featuring Randy Backman on guitar. He wrote that riff. Randy's going to tell us the crazy story behind how he came up with that classic riff and why he left the Guess Who just as that song and album hit number one. And the Guess Who were one of the most popular rock bands in the world. You also hear how he got BTO, Backman Turner Overdrive started not too long after he left the Guess Who and what inspired him to write the classic. How about this one? care. Everyone knows that one Taking care of business He's also going to tell us About the pizza delivery guy Who ended up playing piano On that song True story Plus the other BTO classic You ain't seen nothing yet Was never actually supposed To make an album Or be heard by anybody Except Randy's younger brother Backman's also got some great stories about touring with Van Halen. BTO opened for them for 10 months on the 5150 tour with Sammy Hagar. And Randy got a front row seat for a very special Eddie Van Halen guitar performance. Randy's played in Ringo Starr's all-star band and shares a story about the time everyone went to the movies on a day off from the tour. The Beatles, who were inspired him to play music in the first place, which is why his latest project is a tribute album to, to uh, George Harrison. It's called By George by Backman, and you can get it on Friday. Randy took George Harrison's songs and reinvented them. He's going to tell us more about that coming up, and I'm sure you'll be able to see him perform a couple of them live on his current Canadian tour. The dates just started tonight in Toronto. Uh, go to randybackman.com to to get your tickets all right let's get to my fellow winnipegian the legendary randy backman and his historic rock and roll career right now on talk is jericho so uh, i'm here in uh randy uh now here's the thing Bachman or bachman uh, if you're canadian yeah it's
1: Bachman because growing up in winnipeg after the war, Mm -hmm. you did not want your name to sound German. It's really Bachmann, right? (laughs) Right, right, right. right. But in the States, when we signed uh, with uh, Mercury Records, the head guy was German. His name was Charlie Fash, F-A-C-H. But you said Fash. Mm -hmm. So he sent out a press release that goes, this is Bachmann. And he put in parentheses, you know, B-O-C-K-M-A-N-N, Bachmann, that kind of thing. (laughs) So I would usually do an interview and say, this is Randy Bachman from Bachman Turner Overdrive. It's like the name <laughs> of the band was different than my name <laughs> right, because yeah, he yeah. had put that in all the DJs on our early press release for, for, for BTO.
0: Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. Well, that's a very Canadian thing, too, where it's like drama, well, yeah. pasta. Potato, potato. Nir- right? I remember Kurt Cobain talking about Nirvana. It's like the only place they call us Nirvana, Nirvana. is in Canada. Nirvana, right? And we had Datsun and Dotsun, Falcon and Falcon. <laughs> we had kind of had everything. Yeah, you yeah, know? you do yeah. have that. It's funny, too. You ever notice, like, uh, I'm sure you spent a lot of time in the States even still, there's those Canadian words that only Canadians use. They're like roof. Roof parkade up on the roof <laughs> <laughs> but parkade is one like people even in toronto don't know what a parkade is oh, that must be maybe just a winnipeg word, right yeah like uh like what nationality are you um well it's actually pretty funny because i did two minutes of research and i'm half ukrainian which i found out you're half ukrainian yeah. as well so half ukrainian and then i think like scottish irish oh. kind of my real last name is Irvin. So one of those kind of Mongol-type yeah. things. But that's Winnipeg for you. It's very much you know the classic melting pot of all the different... Well, uh, a lot of them, my grandparents couldn't read or
1: write English. Really?
0: Yeah. Well, they came from the Ukraine.
1: Okay. And then my parents, my dad was German, my mother was Ukrainian. And so a lot of the words we learned as little kids from our grandparents were... Uh, hybrids of mm-hmm. Ukrainian or German or uh, an Irish slang or something right. they would put together with Canadian as a little kid you'd learn it and you grow up and you go somewhere and somebody says are you from Winnipeg and you go how do you know that because you said garage instead of garage <laughs> yeah, yeah that kind of thing you're like <laughs> right. what
0: there's yeah.
1: actually a Winnipeg dialect <laughs> okay. the, the, and it's the hard R what, what do you mean well if, for example um when Neil Young sings or I sing and you sing an R it's very hard like Instead of going, uh, door. morning. A oh. lot of people go morning. Mo- yeah, yeah. yeah. They, like make morning or hard. Like if you're in Nova Scotia, it's like hard tack. They yeah, say yeah, a, yeah.
0: they drag out the r like it's three r's in a row. Wasn't anything about Neil Young? I'm thinking about the, the needle. Like, I saw you knocking on the cellar door. Right. That's the hard R's. Yeah. You're not, so when you're. Cellar a, door. Yeah. Cellar
1: door. Yeah. I love you, baby. Can I have some more? <laughs> oh, you know that. And, kind and of
0: when thing. you're a singer, you're not supposed to enunciate those words. It's it's not proper <laughs> well, singing. Well, I just
1: finished um, a new album mm-hmm. that's a tribute to George Harrison.
0: Oh, no kidding.
1: And it's called By George by Backman. Oh, that's great. And I've taken all his songs and reinvented them. So if it's in a minor key, I've done it in a major key. Mm-hmm. If it's slow, I sped it up. If it's fast, I did a reggae or something else. So it's you don't know what the song is until 30, 40, 50 seconds in, because this is a whole new groove and chords. Mm-hmm. And then when I start singing, you obviously know, because you had very simple lyrics, as were all the Beatles songs. You could sing it in every language. Yeah. They were like ABBA. Every right. country in the world could sing an ABBA song or a Beatles song. They were, I love you, yeah, 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 and I want to hold your hand. It was like real simple yeah. C-spot run It was of. the
0: hook, not the lyric. Right.
1: Yeah. So in doing that, one of the songs had a slight British accent. So you've gone away this morning. I so said, you'll be back again tonight. Because <laughs> I like you too much. Too much, and much and I, I like you, you right? right. So that's one of our big songs. Mm-hmm. But in there, uh, you tried to me, but you didn't have the nerve to walk out and be it's all I deserve. And my manager said, that's British. I said, well, we're, out, we're copying British guys. Do you want deserve? And <laughs> yeah. do you want the hard R like Winnipeg? So everybody knows this is Winnipeg. Or do you want like
0: deserve, like, like deserve, the, the British thing. Is that how you did it then, deserve?
1: Yeah, we did it very British. Yeah. I said, look, we it's a tribute to George. And in every song, because I couldn't do every song. We only did like nine or 10 songs. In the middle of a song that's cruising along, We take one of his solos that he did in a Lennon McCartney song and it appears in the middle of the song Mm. and it's like, wow, that's the solo from And I Love Her or that's a solo from My Sweet Lord, Nice. which we didn't do because that was a lawsuit Yeah, Of course, yeah. But we took that and it's over a shuffle of Don't Bother Me, which is one of his first songs. So it's a whole mix up of all George stuff. I just got the mixes an hour ago. What made you decide to do that? I think the, the Beatles changed everybody's life especially guys in a band mm. because in the in the old days you had an elvis and a backup band a gene vincent and a backup band a guy and a band yeah, buddy Holly, hall Con- yeah every drummer could sing a ringo song couldn't sing he sang flat who cares <laughs> Let the drummer sing, boys, and with a little help from my friends and stuff. And the kids didn't care. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it came in. You did, didn't matter that you hit everything perfectly. Elvis had a great voice. He never sang flat or sharp in his life, right? Same with Paul or John. But when Ringo or George sang, it was a little bit Neil Youngish, like this is a moment in time. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not going to correct this moment. So I was always dedicated to I was being lead guitar the George songs, and he had like one an album. So I would like comb my hair forward. And the quiet me would become the quiet George. <laughs> and so I've done all his songs, his songs over the years, hmm. and saw him transform into um, kind of bubblegummy songs, into real spiritual songs. Like John Lennon got real political with, you know, uh, anti war yeah. songs and give peace a chance and stuff. And I thought, well, these guys really put their career on the line by doing statements of love, peace, brotherhood uh, fighting war, falling, fighting the politicians and Neil Young with the, let's keep the world green and let's keep the planet livable because we're killing ourselves. Everything is, I just saw on TV, one out of two Canadians in the next year is going to have cancer. Really? Yeah. One out of two died. One out of two. Yeah. Oh. Every second Canadian. <laughs> wow. Well, every North American. Yeah, really? Because the water, the air, the soil is all polluted. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I was going to move here, I lived in Liberty Village, downtown Toronto. I got in a bike and rode down you can ride all the way down the the water all the way to halifax uh hamilton mm-hmm. and i'm riding along and it's august and i go what is that smell it smells like a cesspool and the guy i'm riding with says oh that's lake ontario Oof. Go, you're kidding it smells that bad well i don't want to live on the water mm-hmm. if i'm going to live in oakville i want to live away from the water because of the right? smell yeah, yeah, yeah it smells so bad right 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 and right. here we got the greatest fresh water supply in the world, in the Great Lakes here. And if you just drive a little bit north on 401 and get to Hamilton and Burlington, all the factories there that are dumping into this wa- lake, and now they're thinking of putting nuclear storage stuff there in the um, nuclear plant on there. It's, hmm. They don't know where to store this stuff. I mean, nuclear is terrible when it's all done.
0: Well, yeah, you don't know what to there, do sure, with the sure, waste sure. or the leftover stuff. It's not biodegradable.
1: Right. Yeah. And so we're the whole world is like toxic and killing itself. Hmm. There's an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean as big as Texas, and it's all plastic. Okay, everything we throw in the water goes to this, where these different oceans converge in the middle of the Pacific, and they spin around. It's now an island. I've seen a picture of it. Wow. And it's all milk cartons yeah. and plastic glasses Oosh. and plastic
0: bottles. It all ends up in the same area. Yeah. And wow.
1: it'll it never go away. It's spinning around. It's like a vortex of... Yeah, yeah. Just so, the, so until like the, the tides take really it there. Polluted, right, right, so. right,
0: right. So that takes it like when you're talking about, uh, about about George and kind of how he took on the spiritual side and John was taking on the political side, yeah. all the different styles of the Beatles converging. But you mentioned how the Beatles influenced musicians. Now, when you guys were starting, uh, eventually, now is this true? Guess who, like in 1970 with American Woman, biggest band in America at the time? Is that true? Well, the album and single were number one. Right. And
1: there was three trades, then Billboard, Cash, Box, and Record, where we we're number one in all of them, mm-hmm. single and the album. So basically bigger than the Beatles at that point in time. Well, everybody's bigger than somebody. <laughs> yeah. at some time. You, I mean, you can't be number one forever. Right, 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 but right. Look at how many number ones the Beatles have. I've, ha- I've had three, and that's what's wonderful. Your, what's been your three number ones? Well, American Woman. Yeah. The flip
0: side, which I wrote was No Sugar Tonight. And then a few years later with You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Which is, is crazy that Taking Care of Business is kind of the theme of... of that's like the Ronnie, Randy Backman theme song, but it never went to number one.
1: No, it was, it was not in the peak of our popularity. Mm-hmm. But it's the ultimate party song that every guy in every band in every country has yeah. said. When we start our gig and the people aren't dancing, we play that song and everybody gets up and dance. It's just... It's a silly, fun rock and roll party song that everyone's relaxed to, and they could do the bird or the <laughs> swim or the fish or whatever they want, or the twist or whatever. Yeah. So that's that my was,
0: my dad says that's my jam. That's my jam. I love that song. Take yeah. your business, right? But like so, because when you're talking about the guest, who an American woman be number one? Right around that time, you leave to go and, and and do other things. How hard was that for you to do at that point in time? Especially some well, kids from It was easy. Okay.
1: As most things are, yeah. You obviously in your career have had some pain. Mm-hmm. Things break. You mm-hmm. get punched. You get kicked. Whatever mm-hmm. accidents. Yeah. For three solid weeks, while well, American Woman was number one and we were touring, and we went from seven hundred fifty dollars a night to ten thousand a night, which back in seventy was a big leap. Sure. <laughs> I had a gallbladder attack every night, and I didn't know what it was because you finish the gig. You don't eat before a gig. It's like you're going mm-hmm, to wrestle. Mm-hmm. You, You've got to have an empty stomach yeah. or you're going to be vomiting all over <laughs> yeah. the place, right? Yeah, have those horrible So you eat after the gig, right? And it'd be a greasy cheeseburger or whatever. There was no McDonald's back then or a standard of grease, you know what I mean? So you were at the Mercy or playing food roulette with whatever restaurant or truck stop you ate in. And so every single night we'd go out and eat and at about 2 or 3 in the morning, this churning would start right here like somebody had put a knife in in the V of my chest and we are just slowly turning it and I would end up... Throwing up blood and diarrhea, mm. blood, and in this incredible pain, and I would call a road manager who was also from Winnipeg, went to Sisler High, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Martin, and um, I'd say, I said, "I got to go to the hospital, man." He'd come in and see the blood—I mean, the toilet, and I'm um, sitting on the toilet and vomiting in the bathtub and on the toilet, and blood coming out, and the pain was so unbelievable, it was like a big white light shining on me. It was like I—I could—I can't describe the pain, and so they would—he would take me into the emergency in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. wherever we were and um, they said oh this guy's coming down for some drug and just like stay with him all night he's like this guy doesn't do any drugs this guy doesn't do any this guy's in pain they say well we'll give him a painkiller now and in the morning he needs to drink this stuff and we'll x-ray his insides and our road manager say well we're driving to play 300 miles away tomorrow night it's like you being on the road right Mm -hmm. on a tour Uh, so you know what that's like Uh, so you can't get medical attention finally one guy after about six or seven or eight days in a row of this and the only way I could stop the pain was to turn a chair upside down and put the leg of the chair there and lean on it to put pressure in my gallbladder. didn't know what it was Mm. but I felt this pain there and if you have a pain you tend to go and push it and then when you release it blood goes there because a lot of it's circulation and so he said look you got to go back home to Winnipeg to the doctor who birthed you into the world (laughs) who cares about you and have some x-rays done so i went back to Winnipeg, peg found out i had a gallbladder stones a whole lot of stones and um i had one more gig i wanted to play with the guess who so they put you on a special diet when you have gall because gall- gallbladder comes from eating
0: fat or sugar
1: and i release- take it that
0: wasn't that well known in the 1970. no yeah. you
1: release bile that comes yeah. out and dissolves the sugar or the fat and if you eat sugar and fat together like a greasy cheeseburger and an a w root beer you're getting a double <laughs> yeah. a double barrel shot yeah, in your yeah. gallbladder so I go home and they say, okay, here's what you can eat. Soda crackers with a bit of salt, sugarless jello, and skim milk. Blah, that's it for like two weeks. We're scheduling your operation. And I said, okay, I'll stay on this. And um, I had a gig I wanted to play, which was the Fillmore East. The classic. With the guess who, the classic place, hippie, dumb city there. Uh, that's in New York City right at the time. Exactly. Point. And our whole life we had dreamt of being cool enough being a Winnipeg kind of pop band to actually go and play the Fillmore which was for real hip country Joe, Moby Gray, Almond Brothers, Brothers Cream kind of thing and here we were with our pop classics. In fact that night we didn't play these eyes we thought it was too pop. (laughs) At about two in the morning after encore after encore after encore Burton said we have nothing left to play and a guy yells out play these eyes and we look at each other so we play it and everybody <laughs> grabs their girlfriend and it's their high school dance song you know but that was my last gig with the Guess who was the film where i flew in specifically to play that in between our sets there because we did two sets on the airplane they didn't have any soda crackers or sugarless jello I ate some of the food got to there played one set went into the bathroom with the film on my knees threw up blood mm. in between sets got really high because when you from that pain you get adrenaline in your body I went on stage for the last set I played like Eric Clapton (laughs) Hendrix and everybody was like wowing and I'm playing a 59 Les Paul and really rocking out and that was very big coming down after that got on a plane flew home waited for the for the medical thing to happen but why did you have to leave the guess who well they had hit number one they were into the culture at the time which I could say now is a drug culture I wasn't you you were a teetotaler right you didn't do anything I didn't drink smoke I mean I've never drank coffee in my life I just, really yeah I just don't yeah do that yeah. I don't like the taste of alcohol I never smoked I'm allergic to smoke you if could anybody be the, smokes I'm out of the
0: room you can be the cleanest rock star of all time there's a couple <laughs> I think Ted Nugent's one and Frank Zappa amazingly enough was, no kidding yeah. really I didn't know that about Frank yeah Ted for sure so we though. find each other yeah
1: <laughs> and um that was kind of it so uh they went on, like, I went too, back right? to them and said, look, guys, I need an operation. I'm scheduled for two or three months away. Because when you're ele- not emergency, you're elective surgery. So uh, this happened in May and June. I'm, my surgery is supposed to be in August. So I say, I think you guys should go on without me. They go, great. We want to go on without you. Because every night it was me knocking on the door saying, hey, you guys, it's three o'clock in the morning we got to get up at 7 and drive. Mm. I know they're going to be hung over. I'm the delegated driver and the delegated yeah, waking yeah, yeah. up. I'm the narc, right? I'm yeah. the father knocking on the door yeah. saying, you kids shouldn't be doing that. So they were. Kind, they kind of had enough of me, and I kind of had enough of kind of babysitting mm. their animal house tactics, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> right, 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 so, right,
0: Yeah, that was just the way it was.
1: And I had been with the band at that point nine years. It was time to, it was to, time to, to, leave. to move on. Let's talk like about when that. When you're in any band. Yeah the destiny is you're going to break up mm-hmm. when you get married your destiny is you're going to get divorced <laughs> yeah Do you know what i mean there's a yeah. certain we evolve about every six to ten years you know the when a kid starts school that's an evolution when he's 12 or 13 is an evolution i mean mm-hmm. your body changes your mind changes when you're in late teens you go through another change your your brains develop your personality develops and if you are in love with someone at 18 you're Ne- might not necessarily be in love with him mm-hmm. when you're 33 or 34 or if you are guess what she's not in love with you <laughs> you've changed you're a different guy or different person and so when you accept that as a fact like every band is bound to break up I mean I was so broken up when the Beatles broke up yeah, you know yeah. what I mean and um you realize life goes on. People die, bands, and when Glenn Fry died, it was like, I didn't hardly knew the guy, but it was like, mm-hmm. on my radio show, I'd be playing a tribute to the Eagles and his voice and the way he phrased songs was so, touched me so much. I cry when I hear his songs. Mm-hmm. It's like a shame that so many of us guys, I have a t-shirt I was gonna wear today that's Elvis's last prescription. Oh, wow. Or George, whatever the guy's name, Nick Papalopoulos or something. No kidding. And when you look at how many doctors have killed Elvis, Michael Jackson, Whitney, mm. Prince mm-hmm. from prescribing these opiates and all this kind of stuff that when you're on the road and you can't get on stage, you get off stage and you're aching from head to toe because you've got bad knees or a bad back or a bad shoulder. You mm. take one of these painkillers and, and life becomes blurringly wonderful. Yeah. And then You take more and more and more. I've never taken those. When I've had operations or repaired rotator cuffs and things like that, I'm on that in the hospital. The minute I go
0: home, I just get off it. I I can't yeah, stand what it does it. to right. my system, especially since you don't get messed up at all. Right. So that probably is not a good yeah. feeling for you. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadores in AEW and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, eh, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started When you guys came out of Winnipeg and you start going and you talk about playing the film and all this stuff, who were some of the first big bands that you toured with or that, that took you out on the road with? Oh. Almost
1: everybody. It was a real brotherhood then. Mm. Being stuck in Winnipeg, we were very lucky that Burton Cummings went to a guy named Daryl Burlingham, went to school with a guy named Daryl Burlingham, who on the radio was Daryl B, top DJ in Winnipeg, then went to Vancouver, mm. working at the top station there in both. C fun and cklg you're at one and then the other one steals you away but he would call and say i got a gig for you guys and you're going to open for strawberry alarm clock you're going to open for jefferson airplane then he calls and says we got a fabulous gig you're opening for frank Zappa and the mothers of invention it's four dates it's a uh, vancouver seattle portland and san francisco and by the way the opening act is somebody frank's discovered called alice cooper <laughs> so we're playing with all these guys yeah, yeah. we played the seattle pop festival in the summer of 69 And if you Google that, it was three days of peace, love, and sunshine, and nobody filmed it. Hmm. Whereas Woodstock, which was a disaster, which they filmed because there was not enough toilets. It was raining. Everybody was ankle deep in mud. There was a traffic jam. That got filmed. And then immortalized as the ultimate rock festival. It was the ultimate disaster. (laughs) The musicians went there, and in spite of bad uh, conditions, played and rocked their hearts and souls, which is what we usually do no matter what we're doing in the rain or the wind or the sun or whatever. Seattle Pop Festival was much better, had the old and the new. So when they were playing, we played all three days in the Guess Who. Zeppelin was back, it was like their first tour. They were on the show 10 years after, uh, Sly and the Family Stone, and then the Chuck Berry, Jerry D. Lewis, It's a Beautiful Mm. Day, Jefferson Airplane, The Birds, The Flying Burrito Brothers. I and Tina Turner just goes on and on on, three days of this glorious stuff. So we played with them all and I kind of know them all mm-hmm. from that time. And I, I still get to go and see them. I'm still touring on the road. Um, I send emails to Jimmy Page and Robert Plant once in a while and say, guess I just got a ticket from the Seattle office. Do you uh. want it? Because what they loved is I gave them the poster. They wanted to show their kids that they played on the same show as Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis oh, wow. and then about 10 years ago Gretsch was opening a museum in Savannah Georgia which is for, where Fred Gretsch is from guitar, guitar and Bo guitar. Diddley was playing there mm-hmm. he was supposed to play then it was said he wasn't going to come he had bad diabetes and he had his foot cut amputeed and the bugger the poor bugger showed up in a wheelchair with his foot bandaged and played but I took him and gave him the poster and he said oh This is fabulous. I want to show my great-grandchildren that I played with Led Zeppelin. (laughs) And 10 years after. So everybody's a fan of everybody else. So you look at those festivals that that we played as the Guess Who in 69 and 70, all up and down the West Coast, everybody was on them. They were absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. And they were like from noon till midnight or 2 or 3 in the morning. And they went all night long. They were like three solid days. And everybody there was, was like the new peace, love, happiness make love not work kind of thing it was like Monterey, yeah and then after that a whole new movement came in of the next wave of bands that were had been learning from that group who became and I was lucky to change bands then I became one of the new bands instead of one of the old guard of the guess who I'm suddenly two years later in BTO and part of the new Thrust, which is ZZ Top and Frampton and Doobie Brothers and Aerosmith and Leonard Skinner and all these, and the Allman Brothers, all these guys become our contemporaries. I had two sets of contemporaries. I went to a great high school called the Guess Who and then a great college called BTO. So I was very, very lucky to have these classmates, so to speak, our guys that we
0: went to school with. And it's, it's so uh, rare for a guy to have a lightning strike twice and be in a huge band like the Guess Who and then do it again with BTO. Was it hard to get BTO up, up and running? Yes, Neil Young helped me a great deal, mm-hmm. because uh,
1: I was back in Winnipeg in 1970, no band, pretty much shafted on my royalties, leaving the guess who, mm. not able to take care of it, didn't have a real, Winnipeg doesn't have any show business lawyers back in the 60s, <laughs> you know what I mean, they yeah. had criminal lawyers,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, drunk tank lawyers, <laughs> get you out of jail, get yeah. you a
1: drunk driving gone. yeah. Um, so it was a very downtime, and I meet Neil Young in Winnipeg, and we're hanging out. And uh, we'd always go to the um, Hudson Bay top floor with the paddle wheel. Mm. And we'd go there every Saturday, and all we could afford was gravy and chips. We couldn't afford <laughs> anything else. But we'd sit and talk. And um, I say That's another Winnipeg word chips. Life is Those over. Those are french fries. Life is yeah. over. I hit number one. There's nowhere to go when you hit number one except two <laughs> yeah. to two thousand to ten. You go nowhere to go but down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said, you know what? So that's a closed door. I just had a door closed called Buffalo Springfield. I did a solo album that went nowhere. So do a solo album. doesn't go anywhere, but it keeps you busy thinking. But remember, when a door closes, there's a hallway. And at the end of the hallway is another door that opens. The length of that hallway depends on you. Hmm. If you say this door is closed, you run like hell towards the next door. You're going to open that up. and There's going to be if you moan and complain and walk in the shadows down this long, the hallways as long as you want it to be. You can moan and cry for two or three years. Maybe something will happen. If you just run down, open the damn door, and jump into the next room, something will happen. So I did that. He got me a deal with uh, Reprise Records. Mo Austin, Don Schmitzley. I went down there. I didn't want to do second-rate Guess Who? very hard to compete with the Guess Who with the number one record. And right after that, they came up with Share the Land with Burton Cummings' great voice. There's no way I could compete. Mm-hmm. So I did something totally different went to my real love of country rock. Buffalo Springfield, Poco, bands like that, Firefall, doing you know, like rock and roll guitars, kind of country melodies and things like that. And the band was called Brave Belt. Those albums went nowhere. But one thing I found after leaving the Guess Who, nobody would work with me. Why? I was blackballed in Rolling Stone in the press by Burton Cummings, the guess who,
0: their press agent at the time. Uh, because you had the audacity to leave the band sort of thing? or
1: Well, um, I was thrown out of the band. Gotcha. I was too straight, and I could never make it in the music business being straight. Gotcha. And all kind of stuff was said. Mm-hmm. If you look at Rolling Stone 1970, I think August, the big article was in there. <laughs> <laughs> Google it, guys. <laughs> where uh, it was said somebody wouldn't piss on me, wouldn't cross the street to piss on me if I was on fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I won't yeah. tell you who said that, but you can guess it. It's yeah. in Rolling Stone. So with that hanging over me and nobody to work with me in town, because they would then adjourn uh, be blackballed, mm-hmm. I went to my brothers. I'm the oldest of four boys, so I had three brothers. So one of them became our manager. One became the drummer. One became the other guitar player. Hmm. I went to my old buddy Fred Turner, who was in the... D Drifters Five who played Weddings and Polka and things in Winnipeg at the time. But before there was a band called the D- the uh, the Rockin' Devils or the Insane Devils or something like that. And I knew he had a big voice like Eric Burden and the animals, he could sing House of the Rising Sun and he could really bellow and yell and scream like like John Fogarty, you know, like mm-hmm. Creed Clearwater. So um, I'm in LA, the LA earthquake happens. This is like 1970. Uh, Neil has introduced me, and I go into the office to um, Mo Austin, who ran Reprise Records, and I've got an, three guys on an album, and he, and he says, Do you have a fourth guy? And I say, Yes, his name's Fred Turner. And he's got a great voice, and here's his voice, because he knew I had I was in a band with my brothers. And um, he says, Great, I need his name on the contract. I go back to my hotel room, I call my brother Gary, and I say, find Fred Turner. I just put his name on a contract. I haven't talked to Fred in years. <laughs> So when you get in a bluff when a situation like that, I always I always bluff. Like when in doubt, bluff. Yeah, yeah. And then move your ass and make that bluff something real. So I tell Gary, I gotta get a hold of Fred. He calls Fred's wife. Fred's and Regina playing with the D drifters at the Palomino Inn, some country western bar. So I call Fred, and said Fred, do you want to be in a band? I can give you five grand. Uh he said, Well, can I do original song? Yes, and I've got some songs for you to sing. Um, let me call Kathy, he calls his wife, calls me back, I'm in. The next day, I, I deliver the signed contract. The LA earthquake happens. I fly back to Winnipeg. I never want to go to LA again. <laughs> that was kind of the beginning of Brave Belt. Yeah. We did two albums for then, Brave Belt 3. And as Fred got more into the band, I I wrote more for his voice. And we got more like Creedence Clearwater. We got mm. more as a tougher rock band. He would say, let's leave the pop music, let's leave the country stuff behind. It. It's not working. Okay, there was Poco. There was Buffalo Springfield. We got to do something else. Mm-hmm. So... We we started playing gigs as Backman and Turner because mm-hmm. Brave Belt was gone. We got dropped by Warner Brothers. I had invested a lot of money in Brave Belt, my own money. And Brave Belt 3 was given back to me. I shopped it for a year and a half to 26 labels that all refused. And that guy, Charlie Fash at Mercury Records in Chicago, called me up and said, is the whole album like this? And I, at that, in those days, you sent out two, seven and a half inch reels. And I could hear, give me your money, please. It was side, a reel one, song one. So I could tell he just put it in. He's going, this is great. I just had a big hit with Rod Stewart, Maggie May, And I've got, I, I need another rock band because everybody's left Mercury Records. On. I'm hiring Quincy Jones to be our, our head of A&R and this stuff. Do you want to be on this label? How much you got into the band? I said, Charlie, I've got 95 grand at the band. I've been paying them a salary and paying the studio costs and everything. He said, well, I can't give you that per album, but what if I give you a three album or five album deal at 50 an album? I said, great, then I can recoup something back. Mm -hmm. And so he did that deal and Brave Belt became Bachman Turner. And so we weren't confused because we were for about three months with Seals and Cross and Brewer and Shipley, who were like two folk guys with a mandolin <laughs> singing one choke over the line, sweet Jesus or a diamond girl. Yeah, We would get booked in coffee houses and we would show up and play this <laughs> rock and roll with Fred Turner going rawr, rawr, with the Harley <laughs> Davidson voice and we'd be blowing cups of coffee off the table in these coffee houses. And one night outside of Detroit, Windsor, we f- saw a magazine called Overdrive, a trucker's magazine. I open up the centerfold and instead of a naked chick, it's the inside of a guy's truck, <laughs> you know, leopard skin on the yeah, yeah, dots yeah, yeah. on the ceiling and a stereo and a little TV and a book. <laughs> These guys read books when right. they're driving. Sure. They got a little page turner. So I said to Fred, this is a great name for an album. He said, it's a great name for the band. Hmm. It's our music. So I wrote a letter to the magazine editor and said, can we call our band Overdrive? I know you've got your magazine. He said, sure. It'd be great promo for the magazine. So we became back return overdrive mm. the next day. And, and I, 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 if one thing you learn when you write songs or get ideas, you got to write them down or you'll forget them the next day. Like the great dream you had last week, mm-hmm. you can't even remember it. Right. And if somebody says, so I wake up in the middle of the night and write down dreams and ideas. So I had to write down back turn overdrive. So I'm at the cash register. There's the magazine and there's this thing of napkins. You know, they're in the tall thing. So I pull one out and I ask the guy for pen. I write Backman and under it, I write Turner and under it, I write Overdrive because the napkin is upright and not long ways. Yeah. yeah. And so when I called Charlie the next morning, he said, I got the name for the band, Backman Turner Overdrive. He goes, great name, but it's too damn long. And staring me in the face is BTO. And I got, well, how about BTO? And he says, great. That's amazing. That's great. And I said, and Fred said, uh, he knows where there's an Overdrive gear, like from a Ferrari. So if we do an Overdrive gear, put a BTO in the middle and a leaf to show we're Canadian. (laughs) We've got a logo. And he says, great, great. To have a long name and a short name, like Crosby, Stills and Nash then became CSNN. Chicago used to be Chicago Transit Authority, CTA. BSNT, he said, if you've got a logo with initials and a long name, you've got a worldwide trademark. So suddenly we became back in Turner Overdrive. BTO, yeah. So everything happened by happenstance or circumstance Mm -hmm. or some sort of galactic angelic force guiding me. Uh, we recorded one of our last songs in Vancouver at Mushroom Studios. And right next to Mushroom Studios is an old garage for guys to go to get their oil changed. And then a, it, Mushroom Studios is in a hill, which is great for the sound. So behind it was this great big hill of prairie grass. You know how prairie grass is, it's three, four feet high. And we're having our pictures taken there to look like we're in the prairies, even though we're in downtown Vancouver, because this grass is elevated behind us on a hill. <laughs> so the photographer, says, the photographer says to me, move over, uh, back up a little bit. I want to get you in the frame. The sun has changed. There's a cloud. and We're trying to get sunshine pictures, which are the best, the best lighting. And as I back up, I fall over backwards. And there's this big wooden thing in the grass. And it's all covered because prairie grass falls down when it rains. It's, it's heavy. And I say to Fred, help me pick this up and move this, whatever it is. So we try to move this piece of wood because we got to stand at this one spot for the sunshine. And he goes, man, this thing's heavy. And we start to lift this up. And we lift this thing up, and it's an eight-foot wooden gear buried in the the grass. (laughs) And so the photographer says, that's great. Stand inside of it. Hold it up. So we hold it up. That's the back of BT-01, this real gear. And Fred goes... Oh my god this is just like the ferrari overdrive gear I, I wanted to have on the cover but here we are with the real wooden gear that's eight feet across that was used as a template for sawmills in chilliwack hmm. to make the gears for the uh for cutting the logs right so this is like a template they would pour maybe plaster around and pour in the metal yeah, yeah thing, right like right. A, it's the mold a the casting model. mold. Yeah. yeah so all this stuff happened like weird things happened mm-hmm. and then the story of taking care of business which was written in 67. As white collar worker, me copying paperback writer, which was a copy of Johnny B. Good, the day in the life of a guy, mm-hmm. and I wrote a story about the day in the life of a guy. And it was called White Collar Worker, but my middle was White Collar Worker, just like Paperback Writer. So every band passed on that. So out of desperation, one night after we've cut BTO One, and people think you're really, really rich because it's on the charts. <laughs> um, We're playing North Vancouver, driving over the bridge. Daryl B's on the radio. Hi, this is Daryl B on Seafund Radio, we're taking care of business. And I go, what a title (laughs) for a song. So I write it down on a McDonald's napkin this time. (laughs) Napkins have saved my life. So I write it on a napkin. And we get to the gig that night. It was a Saturday night. We had been playing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, five 50-minute sets a night. And then Sunday, we would go and play in the Breakers, Kaniski's Place, and make an extra 400 bucks so you don't know, you know that place in the breakers in point roberts washington okay yeah, yeah, yeah across yeah, the border up. from vancouver and you're in the states yeah drinking age was 19 and vancouver is <laughs> 21. so everybody went to point roberts on a sunday afternoon and the band would play from four to eight and eight to four and everyone would rock out and it was like beach blanket bingo kind of thing so on stage that night fred turner says he can't sing anymore he's blowing his voice and i had to sing so i took these lyrics from white collar worker that everyone liked get up in the morning from the alarm clocks so when i was describing an actual guy an engineer in new york who always wore a white collar to work and when i got to the hook i didn't do white collar worker i just sang what daryl b had said taking care of business taking care of business and the crowd went nuts and there was this electricity on stage like in kitchener waterloo when i broke a string and walked on stage tuned up my guitar and played the rift to american woman it's like What's that riff? And everybody looks at me and I go, oh my God, I don't want to forget this. Play the riff over and over and over and over and keep playing it over and over and over and and you get the riff. And so that same kind of electricity happened on stage. And then suddenly the song Taking Care of Business comes to be on stage in a jam session. And the band doesn't know what we're even playing. Because I turn around and say, I'm playing three chords, follow me. And I sing my old lyrics and I add in this new hook, which is Taking Care of Business. And it becomes an actual party anthem.
0: How was it for you singing? Because you mentioned before, like you were just the George guy once in a while.
1: Well, if you notice in that song, it's not a real vocalist song. It's not like these eyes. These eyes is like mm-hmm. Roy Orbison. It's mm-hmm. like three octaves. I mean, Burton sings beautifully in that. And he was eighteen or nineteen when he sang it. It's just a party song. Anybody—that's the thing about t- anyone can sing "Louie Louie." Anyone can sing Taken Care of Bits. All yeah. you gotta do is the get up in the morning, friend. That's like any. <laughs> It's a yob, you yeah. know, it's like the soccer song of <laughs> yeah, all time, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 I've heard people say it should be part of getting a Canadian citizenship, that you should be <laughs> able to sing Taken Care of Business, <laughs> the ultimate Canadian song. <laughs> right. So um, it was not a, I just kind of talked, sang it, and I had been touring a lot with the Beach Boys, and I loved the way uh, Carl Wilson sang, and I also loved the difference between Carl and Brian Wilson singing, because they had the high voice, and I also loved Mike Love's voice. Like, I get around, mm-hmm. I'm getting bug going up and down the same old strip. And he had this funny Hawthorne, California accent. So if you hear the get up in the morning, I'm copying Mike Love. Oh, I'm not copying Chuck Berry. Yeah. And when I told Mike Love that, I was just at their 50th reunion a couple of years ago at Molson's here. I said, you realize that taking care of business, I'm copying you. And he goes, yeah, I could see that. They get up in the, go- I get around. It's yeah, not, get, I get around. It's I get, get around, yeah. right? And so I said, so it's a mixture of you and Chuck Berry and other guys who kind of talk sing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Brian Wilson really sang and sort of Carl Wilson, like God only knows and Caroline knowing all that stuff. And, but Mike love did this cool Chuck Berry kind of
0: reciting lyrics on two mm-hmm. or three notes. And that's kind of what George Harrison did. That's what that's Ace what... Fraley does too. Just kind of talk singing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When, when he did a, uh, it's funny, did, you know, Adam Carolla. Yeah. Uh, so he loves BTO and guess who, and every time I go on the show, I just did it uh, about two weeks ago. And we're talking about, I said, I'm going to go interview Randy Backman in a few weeks. He's like, oh my gosh, ask him a question about, uh, about um, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet, about the, kind of the stutter singing. He says that you did it because you were bugging your brother who had a stutter. Correct. Is that true? Yes. Oh, okay, tell the story.
1: So we're doing the third album. Mm-hmm. We've already had a hit with Let It Ride." Taking care of business so is. That Let it ride as Turner singing, right? That's yes, his voice. That's gotcha. His. And then the next one is me, which is good, like two lead vocalists. Mm-hmm. So the next one is Taking Care of Business. And it's on, they're both on the charts. And when Charlie gave me a three album deal, he soon changed it to five deal because in 18 months we had three albums on the charts. Not Fragile was number one, BTO2 is 18. And the first one, which was actually Brave Belt Three, was still 48. So we had Jeez. three albums in the top 50. And a song at number one, and another song at in the twenties. We were like peripherated. All over the charts at that time. <laughs> Prolific. So when I was producing the band, because we didn't have a producer, we'd always have a work song. Like you always have a workout before the real game, right? And mm. Whether you're in yeah, wrestling yeah. or football, you're benching, pressing, and you're hey, getting your muscles up. warmed yep. up and stretching and everything. And so I'd always have a work song, and I'd be crawling around in the studio, moving the bass drum mic, getting the drum sound with the engineer and a bass sound, and we'd play through a song and that song would be thrown away, Hmm. like a work song. Mm -hmm. Then we would start the album, which I basically had already done on paper. I knew the intro, I knew the lyrics. I didn't even have a tape recorder and couldn't afford one. so Everything was done on paper with a a stopwatch. The song would be for the solos at 320, another solo at this time. (laughs) And so we would do our songs live off the floor and then just sing over them, sing them better. Because it's always, when you write a song, you obviously know the first verse the best because it's your once upon a time, there was a little boy called Randy, Mm a little girl named Goldilocks kind of thing. So you sing your first verse all three times just to get the song done. Then if the song works, you kind of go and rewrite a third verse and you finish the story. So then you sing another vocal track. So I took this song and I said, I'm gonna tease my brother because I was the oldest of uh, four boys and we teased each other like mad with practical jokes, you know, shorting the bed and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And so I was, sang on the song and stuttered on it to tease my brother and mixed one copy, and it was a cassette I put aside, and the song was gone. We did the eight songs for the album. Charlie Fatch flew in. We'd always sit there and play the record, the album for him. He'd say, oh, good, I'll push this one to Top 40 Radio, and this one will go to FM Radio. And here's hears Roland Down the Highway and Sledgehammer and a couple of the other songs and Rock Is My Life. He says, I really like these songs. I don't hear a song that's that magical thing for to get you above taking care of business. And taking care of business is everywhere now. Because you have a piano and a song for the first time, you're now getting Elton John real estate because he's the only guy with a piano. All you other idiots are all guitar, bass, and drums. You and Frampton, Errol Smith, and Doobie <laughs> Brothers, and ZZ, you're all guitars. Yeah. And radio gets tired of this. So Elton with the piano, he's everywhere. You're getting his real estate on Top 40 and on an FM radio. And that's good, But I've got to hear a song that is above that. And I say, this is the album. We're home for like... 11 days, we've spent nine in the studio, we're going home to see our wives and kids who don't know who we are, and we're on another 90-day tour, and that's the album, Take It or Leave It, and the engineer says, play him the throwaway track, and Charlie says, is there another track, and I go, it's a throwaway, the guitar's not in tune, I'm just getting a tone on the guitar, then I tuned up later, you didn't have tuners in those days, tuned to a piano, right, or harmonica. Mm And I'm doing bad, bad, bad Van Morrison impressions in the end. I'm going, all that stuff. <laughs> I'm stuttering like my brother. And so it's really terrible. And so we put the song on, and he jumps out of his chair and he goes, That is amazing. That song is effing amazing. <laughs> I go, You gotta be kidding. He said, No, li- believe me, I discovered Hey Baby for Bruce Chanel. I discovered Maggie May for Rod Stewart. It was a throwaway song for them. It became a career song for them. You'll be singing this song every day of your life for the rest of your life, every mm-hmm. show, and taking care of business. These are career songs. Put it on the album. I go, You gotta be kidding. He said, Don't touch a thing. I thought I gotta fix it. I gotta resing it. I sang it once and it was like <laughs> blithering around like I need it. Needed. Leave it the way it is. It's it's there's nothing like it on the radio. So that was the first B2 album that had a ninth song. I had to rearrange the format, put the four long ones on one side. Because then on vinyl, you're dealing with maybe 22 minutes a side. And if one side's 20 minutes, the other one's 24, you've got to put more sound in that space between mm-hmm. the label and the edge, and your sound level goes down. So you can't have one side of the album loud and the other side soft. So I put the four long songs on one side and squeezed the fifth song on five shorter songs on the other side. So you ain't seen that. Nothing yet was on the third album. He released it as a single, much to my chagrin. And it went to number one in 22 countries.
0: And this is, that's
1: the original take. That's the original take with the guitar, a guitar out of tune. You're kidding me. The guitar was so out of tune and I didn't have a guitar to tune it when I was mixing it. I ran the guitar through an echo repeat, which would catch your ear. Yeah. And I wanted to put it through a Leslie speaker, which spins around. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what a Leslie is, a mm-hmm. big rotating speaker, sure. has a little horn in the top. The horn had been blown out by Lindsey Buckingham because Buckingham and Nix just before Fleetwood Mac were recording in the same studio. And he had, Lindsey Buckingham had taken a, a Coca-Cola cup and jammed it on the speakers on this little thing because the other thing was being in, re, being re It was kind of a triangular speaker mm-hmm. at the top of a Leslie. So I have a picture of this. My guitar is coming out of this Coca-Cola cup <laughs> spinning around. and That's the lead guitar on You Ain't See Nothing Yet. Wow. And the whole track speeds up and slows down. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. I really didn't know what I was singing hmm. The songs about everything and about nothing. It's a spinal tap song It applies to every woman or every guy or every situation. But since then, I've now seen it on TV as you ain't see nothing yet. Right. And then in all the last four or five American elections. One candidate, either Gore or or Trump or Clinton or whoever he's against, one wants taking care of business. The other one wants you ain't seen nothing yet. But I'm saying <laughs> stop using my song, you guys. I don't believe I don't want my stuff used politically. Yeah. And by the way, you chiefs case, you're stealing my song. You're not paying me. You're mm-hmm. not doing a license, mm-hmm. right? And they, they just say, use it. We're not using your song. I saying, are you kidding? Here's a download of you walking into speaking to somebody at a, a veterans club or something, and you're playing taking care of business as you're marching in song, or you ain't seen nothing yet. Hmm. cease and desist or
0: pay me because mm-hmm. I write songs sure. to earn money to be well, yeah, paid yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. not to give them away. But isn't that amazing though like like if you go to like a hockey game, American oh. woman. Taking care of business. You ain't seen nothing yet. Every time they score a goal, it's taking care of business. But but you hear the other ones too throughout the game. There's probably four or five of your songs going out throughout the game. Yeah. I mean, so if you, if for, for For for... that, you get about three or four cents. Yeah. (laughs) It's a standard play.
1: Yeah. If they license it, say we want it for a commercial. Mm -hmm. Great. You're syncing it to a picture for a commercial. Then you're talking 10, 20, 30, hundred.
0: Yeah. Sure. Sure. A couple hundred grand. Right. Like a movie. What about when uh, Lenny Kravitz did American woman? Did you finally get control that back was wonderful because it was in the movie yeah uh lenny had put out his
1: greatest hits which he pulled back hmm. and added that on because it became a number one record for him he won vocalist of the year what movie was that in mike myers oh yeah uh, one of the Austin awesome powers. powers right okay and so i got to thank mike myers for doing it. he put in the original and then he wanted it again on the outro and he asked lenny kravitz to do it i have a cd that no one in the world has that lenny kravitz sent to me that he did five versions Hmm. American with different tempos, different keys, different solos, and everything. And the one that was the big hit was remixed by Timbaland, mm-hmm. which had all the nice vocals on it. But uh guitar solo, they didn't copy mine. And we did the Much Music video awards that year together. I was back with the guest who this early 2000 and Lenny was on doing that song. So Burton and I joined him on stage and did it. And it was all done, I said to him, Why didn't you do my guitar solo? It's the standard doo-doo do mm-hmm. this thing you sing. He said, "I couldn't get the tone. I didn't know how to get oh, the sound. Yeah, can you tell me how to get that sound?
0: How did so, you get that sound?
1: Well, it was a thing I invented in Winnipeg with Gar Gillis, who made all the Garnet amps that all the Winnipeg band. My first G- amp was a Garnet. So you know, Gar Gillis right, Garnet. Queen, yeah. So that was the thing. So Gar and I invented this thing that distorted my guitar. So Gar called me and Look, i 'Look, I'm I'm dying. I'm closing my office. I'm 89 years old. I found our original box from 1966 when I made the Herzog. That's what we calls it.'" And I could make some. I said, make me as many as you can. Every guy I know in the world wants that sound. They know how to get it. And whatever you think's a fair price, I'll just pay you. Mm-hmm. So he made me 13. I gave one to Bob Rock, one to Neil Young, one to Lenny Kravitz, a <laughs> uh, couple to Gordy from Big Sugar, mm-hmm. who uses two of them one for rhythm, one for lead. And a couple of Nashville guys use them because it gets to sound like nothing else. Right on the on the guitar, it makes your guitar sound like a cello. Mm-hmm. And I grew up playing. I grew up playing violin and viola, and I love the sound of a cello, the mellowness of it, rather than the sharpness of a guitar. And so that kind of became my
0: sound. So those are the only the only ones that you have are the only ones in the world, basically that you're saying.
1: I've got a couple the, here, and the, I've the,
0: sent a couple to these guys. But the thirteen that exist is like that. Well, they're
1: the last ones Gar made, but they were okay. made throughout. Gotcha. When I'm traveling on Air Canada and I check in, the guy would go, oh, I've got a Herzog. They used to say Randy backwards <laughs> Herzog. <laughs> nice. And I would call Gar up and I'd be in my house on Scotia Avenue in Winnipeg. And I'd say, have you worked on the thing? They'd say, well, I'm working on the new thing, but the old thing sounds much better. Mm-hmm. When I was all done, my wife said to me, you guys have to stop using the word thing. Because it's the old thing and the new thing and the other thing. <laughs> so I get to Gar and I say, we've got to call this thing something. He said, well, think of a name. And I was reading a book at the time from a guy named Werner Herzog. Yeah, director. Right. And so I said, let's just call the damn thing a Herzog. <laughs> and let's call this other one a Stinger. And let's call the other one an Overdrive at the same time as we got the name Overdrive. So Gillis also had an amp called the BTO, Big Time Operator. Hmm. So all these funny initials and
0: overdrives and things all came into my life at the same time. I actually bought an overdrive pedal at Longham McQuaid in about 85, 86. Was that his invention? The overdrive?
1: That was Gar's sound. But when I got a thing called a Sons amp, which meant you could plug your guitar directly into a, a recording device and emulate amps, it was a little black pedal, the guy, after much demand, finally made a rack mount. Mm. And so I get sent a rack mount. And there's a little note saying, check out number 48. When I check out 48, it's Amwo, American Woman. And I click to it, I plug in my guitar and it sounds like my sound, which is a 59 Les Paul with a Bigsby vibrato into a Garnet Herzog, into a Garnet amp, into an RCA ribbon mic with an RCA compressor to a 3M tape machine. <laughs> the final end is what's in the song in this yeah. song's amp. Okay. I meet the guy named Andrew in New York City and I say, can you take that out of the song's amp? And just make me a pedal called the American woman pedal. He said, sure, hmm. get me permission. So I called Bert and said, can I use it as a pedal? And he said, sure, it's your sound. So Andrew put it into a pedal. However, they didn't make a new casing for the pedal. They jammed it. The thing that gets the American woman sound is two tubes and a preamp into a preamp. So you can put one against the other, and then it gets amplified by your amp. Whatever sound you get, sustain you get by tweaking these, you then amplify. It becomes your sound. Mm-hmm. This, he put it into a, a standard existing foot pedal size, let's say it's this size, rather than one that's that bigger, that much bigger, giving it some room. Yeah, so some when I would size. stomp on it, the pedal to turn it on, the top of it would touch the circuit board and it would short out. Oh, okay. So in the middle of a solo on stage, I go and stomp on this thing to get this, and I'd get dead silence. <laughs> so I have many pictures of my roadie standing there trying to pull the top of the pedal up by the, sw- till, by the switch until my solo's over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was like a fault in the thing And they (laughs) never did redo
0: that So I might remake that pedal with somebody else So when you're talking about BTO in the 70s And you mentioned a lot of different names Who were some of the bands that you toured with Because you're straight and and you don't drink And you don't do anything Everyone seems like they're pretty crazy in the 70s Were some bands that were just off the rocker (laughs) We couldn't get any work in Canada which is pretty typical. Because blackballed or because... Yeah, and Canada just Canada's, doesn't really care. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. You, Canadians are never very really proud uh, of you, other when Canadians. When you're
1: Oscar or your Grammy or your number one, yeah. come back to Canada and play gigs because we all love you. <laughs> yeah, Meanwhile, right. radio won't play you. Yeah. Right? So we be uh, we got adopted b- pretty much by a guy in Nashville whose name was Scott. Forget his last name. He had a big radio station in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And another one in St. Louis called Kashi, which was a pig, pig with sunglasses on. <laughs> and um, both St. Louis and Nashville really liked the first BTO album. And they called us up and said, we are having like uh, our own afternoon pop festival at noon in a drive-in. You're driving in your car. So it's a sunny day. Kids come in, in convertibles, they sit on the hood, they have a picnic, they get beer, they get hot dogs, like a drive-in. And when it's dark, we play dr- rock and roll movies like... The girl can't help it or hard days night or something like that would you come and play this and there's no pay well what will we get well we'll play uh, one of your songs off mm-hmm. your album every hour for two bloody weeks okay we'll come yeah we show up there every song we play from bto1 everyone's screaming and dancing you know every song yeah and so that would like that really broke us out but at the, on the same show was zz top Peter Frampton, Doobie Brothers, Wet Willie, who were a spinoff of the Almond Brothers, Almond Brothers, Charlie Daniels, who then was a real Southern rock guy before he picked up the fiddle and did Devil Came in Georgia, Georgia and all yeah. that kind of thing. He was like a real two drummers, two Les Paul, mm. rockin', screaming, bluesy guy. I mean, he was like a big rocking guy. And, um, All these guys became, we all became really good friends. And Hank Williams Jr., he was the real rebel country guy. And so we did a lot of tours with these guys. We were known as a southern band. Mm -hmm. We uh, are the big gigs. We, and it didn't matter who headlined or who closed the show. We were all buddies. We're all comrades. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't matter who headlines. Right. We'd be pulling into a town and the radio guy would say, well, ZZ Top's getting the most uh, airplay on LaGrange. So let's let them close the show and you guys open. Great, we'll open and we'll get a head start because we're driving tomorrow to mm-hmm. New Orleans or, or, or you know what I mean, or yeah, whoever. Yeah, Some other exactly city, city. three or 400 miles away. And so we went on and on like that for years with ZZ Top and Frampton and the Doobie Brothers. Played Mardi Gras every year, three or four years in a row for Don Fox at the warehouse. And that was a great place that held, held maybe 1,400 people. Mm-hmm. You play there two nights in a row, you got 24... 2,800 people and Casey radio was there and all the other radio stations, WNOE in New Orleans really supported us. So we basically broke down South. Mm-hmm. And when we finally hit number one album and single, then we got an invite to tour <laughs> Canada. And we did the first Canadian tour coast to coast that, that netted or grossed a million dollars. Wow. It was yeah. unheard of yeah. in that time, which is maybe 74, 75. Did you ever tour with, uh, kiss acdc or van halen we i opened for van halen for 10 months really after sammy joined he was a buddy of mine he called me and he said because van halen used to have real crappy opening acts they wanted to sell merch always to this day even when sammy when sammy joined he said look do me a favor i want bto to open and do one half hour of face kicking hits i don't want to come on stage and have somebody yell where's dave and there's not going to be a break. When you're done taking care of business, there's going to be like one minute. You walk off the stage and I'm playing guitar. We're on and we're, we're doing Why Can't This Be Love, right? Which we call Why Can't This Be Lunch and Taking Care of Breakfast Tour.
0: <laughs> so I was with Van Halen for 10 months on the road when Sammy joined. That's interesting. Now, you said something. You said that they always had crappy opening bands because they wanted to sell merch. Really? Excuse me. excuse me because even to this day even the, they're even... called the popcorn bands or the merch band nobody cares who they are
1: yeah three or four guys playing their hearts off a big break opening for van halen yeah. everyone's finding their seat and struggling in with their <laughs> beers and they bought the, you buy your merch ahead of time because after the show it's a traffic jam right as you're trickling in that's the time to buy the merch mm. and that's when the merch is out by then all the good stuff sold out when you're leaving mm-hmm. and so um we toured at van halen for like 10 and a half months what, what did you think of van halen as a player probably one of the best in the world mm-hmm. So we're talking 86 87 every day eddie would warm up and play the most amazing guitar i've ever heard and i've heard really good (laughs) guitar players Mm -hmm. um he was a wonderful guy one night he called me and he always called me randolph (laughs) and he made me call him edward yeah And nobody's called me Randolph except my mother. Was like when you're bad? Your mother would say, Christopher. That's true. Randolph. You know, that kind of thing. And so my phone rings. It's like two in the morning. It's like, Randolph? What? Edward. Eddie? Edward. What's up? This is in Knoxville, Tennessee. We had just played in the World's Fair was there. Can you come to my room? Isn't Val with you? Yeah, but she's in bed. Like he was courting Valerie then. Um. Come to my room, okay? I go. He's downstairs, where all the suites were in this hotel. I go downstairs. I'm like I'm like in a hockey shirt, like I'm sleeping. Mm-hmm. He comes out in a in a his sleep attire, which is kind of like a football shirt, LA Rams or something. And he says, my best friend just killed himself. Mm. They found him in his car, the hose mm. from the exhaust in the car sitting with all my albums in his lap. Mm -hmm. And I know right now he's going to heaven. And I want to play for him. Could you sit here and join me and say a prayer for my friend? So I go, okay. He closes the door. Valerie's in bed. He sits down. He's got an acoustic uh, flamenco kind of guitar. And he starts to play. And he plays like I've never heard anybody play in my life. It's like an hour and a half. And I can't move and I have no tape recorder. Doors are opening from guys hearing this music, like it's three in the morning now, about to say what's going on. And they see Eddie sitting there and me sitting there and he's playing and he's sobbing. And So these guys just sit down. This like becomes a church in the bottom of this basement. And it's very... Reverent and 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 very spiritual and very amazing, and it's like Twilight Zone. And after like four thirty-five in the morning, Eddie goes, "Thanks very much," and gives me a big kiss. He's a big kisser. give me a big kiss on the cheek and a big brother hug, and he says, "Thanks, man." And he goes to sleep. And I was like, Mm -hmm. "I've heard Eddie Van Halen play stuff no one else has ever heard. That was like a moment where he was playing for his friend, who's like transcending as an angel, kind of thing. Like just amazing,
0: otherworldly, almost. Yeah. Yeah."
1: But on stage, he's just amazing, amazing guy. And I said to to Eddie and they wanted us to do a weekend with them, which is like three big gigs. And after the weekend, they came and said, we want you guys to do the full 10 months. Holy cow. Well, can I bring a kid every week? I've got six kids and I I haven't seen them for three months. I've been on a 90-day tour. (laughs) Well, you can bring a kid a week. Okay. (laughs) So when it came to be my son Tal's turn, Tal came and Eddie loved him. Eddie kept stealing his hat. My dad had given my uh, son a fedora, you know, which Tal and Eddie would always take his hat. And then Eddie gave him a shirt and vice versa. So Tal I always, Eddie is the drummer. He mm, plays yeah, drums yeah, on all Van Halen stuff. Right. So when we would be jamming, Eddie would come on stage and play drums with us. And then he would hand the drumsticks to my son, Tal, who's a drummer, who also plays guitar. And um, when it's time for Tal to leave, like he and Eddie were really tight for about two weeks. And... Um, it's time for Tal to leave and he comes on stage and he says, and Eddie would always take his hat and hide it. And Tal would go to get it and he'd throw it to his roadie, to Zeke, and mm-hmm. back and forth throwing the hat around. So when it's time for Tal to leave, he comes on stage and he says to Ed, Eddie, I gotta leave and I wanna give you something. And he gives Eddie the hat, which was my father's hat. My father had passed away. Wow. So this was grandpa's hat to my son. Gives him the hat. Eddie puts on the hat and he says, okay. Zeke Who's his tech? Go get me number two. And see, cause you're you're kidding. Go get me number two. He goes and gets Eddie's number two guitar, red, white, and black guitar, and gives it to my son Tell and signs it to Tell with Love. Wow. Uncle Eddie. With the stripes on it and yes. stuff. Oh, wow. Tell has number two.
0: That's which are custom made for
1: Eddie. Because people don't realize this. Eddie has about five or six guitars that all look the same. Mm-hmm. They're all in a different tuning. So, when he does his tapons and hammers, it's always on a dotted fret. Oh. So, it's tuned to a G or a D you only got to go to the same position because you're running how can this guy be doing hammer offs and pull offs in the key of a flat <laughs> right right he's right. got a capo on it, it's been tuned uh-huh. so he would spin around in the dark and just switch the guitars hmm. wonderful trick right mm-hmm. it's like a magician's trick you got a, a twin or a duplicate when you vanish <laughs> yeah. the twin jumps out yeah. in, the, in the balcony going here i am and everybody looks there and then you, you run off stage yeah, right yeah. It's, the, it's the bait and trap thing so um my son had the guitar for many years i had to sell it because he got into uh Uh, you know bad financial Mm -hmm. situation with divorce and stuff Mm -hmm. but uh, there's a guy who collects these Eddie Van Halen they're all penciled and numbered Eddie had five or six made way way back in the early 80s yeah
0: yeah you have to but he's
1: really a wonderful guy it was a really fun time touring with them and what is funny is him and Alex are like me and my brothers yeah they would be pissed off at each other when they would get off stage, you would actually have a fight and have each other in headlocks, punching each other in the head, and have the road manager go encore. They would stop fighting, and go on stage, play the last song, come back and, and resume the fight. It was like, really funny.
0: Do <laughs> You played in Ringo Starr's band. Uh, yeah, for, for about a year. That's, how was that? Because that's the all-star thing where every guy gets to play his own tunes. Yes. But how was it playing with Ringo? Well, it was
1: really weird. Uh, PBS then was just getting started having these fundraising things where they'd play old rock and roll movies the girl can't help it rock around the clock and so one night i'm watching hard day's night and help back to back and yellow submarine and whatever it was and the next morning my phone rings and the voice is oh this is ringo i want you to join my band and i go sure great and i hang up (laughs) the classic right (laughs) phone rings again oh this is ringo i'm calling you to join my band i said yeah yeah sure is this you, Marty? Is this you? You know, knows Ringo. I'm calling from Monaco. And I go, really? you want to call me back? And he gives me a phone number that's like 01049. And I go, holy cow, is this really Ringo Starr? Yes, it is. I want you to join my band. Holy cow. And play your songs. Mm. So after a couple of video conferences that had just started then with David Fischoff, who was promoting the tour, I joined the band. I was told on the front end by everybody who had previously done it that when it was over, it would be the greatest experience of my life. And I would have done it for nothing. Mm. And even though I was dickering for money, now that it was said and done, I would have done it for nothing. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And why is that? It was rock royalty. John Entwistle on bass. Mark Farner from Grand Funk. Wow. Billy Preston, the fifth Beatle. Of course. Ringo, his son, Zach, who's now drumming with The Who. Yeah. Uh, Felix Cavalier from The Rascals and me doing my songs. Uh, and me getting to play Groovin on a Sunday afternoon with Felix and you know what I mean and and good lovin and playing Boris the Spider with <laughs> with Entwistle and stuff and and all these guys' songs and and doing uh Get Back with Billy Preston it was really really amazing the stories we told like you think you got screwed by your manager <laughs> here's what you know that John S will come to you. you think that's a screw here's the real screw and everyone would tell all their things and the greatest one was Brian Epstein coming to uh, New York City to do a deal on Beatles merch. And merch then wasn't a big deal. You kind of gave it away. You felt guilty. BTO, we gave away our t-shirts. We felt too guilty to charge the fans. (laughs) Now it's like that's where you make (laughs) your your tour bus money and your hotel money. gas in the tank, yeah. yeah. So um, Brian Epstein goes to do a deal on the Beatles. And he says to the guy who's doing the deal, no less than 10%. (laughs) He means for them, for the Beatles. (laughs) The guy writes that up, ninety for me and ten for you, for the you and the Beatles, and Brian Epstein signs it. So it should have been the other <laughs> of way course, around, of course. So that was like one of the great stories we heard. The Beatles <laughs> got ten percent of their own merch. Oh, that deal ended soon, but you know, of I mean, course, that was yeah, the yeah. kind of you didn't realize the money that was there to be made at that time and yeah. some of the deals and how how the Who never made any money till. Album 5 or 6 Yeah They just blew money I remember Def Leppard When they played uh, Vancouver I don't know Somewhere in the 90s It was their album Produced by Mutt Lang It, it had sold When it hit 4 million copies They had a big party Because they broke even <laughs>
0: Do
1: you know what I mean? I yeah I like, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of think so
0: You know when you, Was Ringo a pretty cool guy To, to jam with And hang out with? He was a very cool guy. I
1: think he's one of the luckiest guys in the world. Mm. But, you know, there there are chemistry guys that are lucky, that are in the right place at the right time. And like you said, it's a chemistry. And um, he just happened to be there. I was in Liverpool uh, two years ago for John Lennon's 75th birthday, which was amazing. went to the Cavern, the Caspa, the Beatles Museum. Met his uh, sister, Julia, who made mm-hmm. his brownies because that was John's favorite birthday cake and gave everybody brownies. <laughs> i got John's glasses right here. She gave me a pair wow. of his glasses. And, uh, that's why I'm releasing by George album, February 24 and 25, George's 20, 75th birthday and playing BB Kings in New York. That's great. In New York city for that. Yeah. Getting that out. Yeah. So uh, that was like really, uh. You know, a big deal for me was like doing that whole mm-hmm. beetle thing there, mm-hmm. and now doing this George
0: Harrison thing. Sure, of course, of course, being the Beatles thing. Um, just as we wind up here, I, I did an interview for your documentary a couple weeks ago. How does it feel to know that uh, someone's making a documentary of your life? Weird. Yeah. Uh, it's like when
1: somebody was doing a book. I got asked to do a book. John Einerston, the Winnipeg guy, said, "I want you to work with me on a book." I thought, "I want to do a book." I'm halfway through writing my book or living my book. He said, well, I'll tell you what, there's two guys in Montreal doing a book on you. And they're getting it all from third sources, from newspaper articles, which are some inaccurate and some false truths. And when that book is printed, it's biblical. People will then, that'll be their new reference sure, point. Of course. So why don't you do a book with me and shut them down? And so I did my first book, Taking Care of Business, with John Einerson. Then I did Stories from Vinyl Tap. Let me go back and tell you the Ringo one. Oh, please, Ringo thing. please. So all Ringo wants to be is one of the guys. Yeah, right. He can't go anywhere. Yeah. Van Halen can't go anywhere. I'm on tour with Van Halen, the West... Edmonton Mall opens. Eddie has to get a wheelchair, put on a granny dress, a wig and granny glasses and be rolled around in the West Edmonton Mall because kids would recognize him and attack him. him. He couldn't go anywhere. So it's the same with Ringo. Ringo can't go anywhere. I heard he has a no
0: picture rule too.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I brought a stack of stuff for him to autograph. He looked at me and said, pick two.
0: Uh
1: (laughs) two." (laughs) And you're in his band. Yeah, Yeah, I know. (laughs) And so um, we have a day off and it's in Providence, Rhode Island, which is a beautiful place. We have a day off, which is usually you go to the gym, mm-hmm. you do your laundry, you have a nice dinner with the guys. You overeat a little bit because yeah. yeah, yeah. you can go and nap. You don't have to go on stage <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. And so Ringo says, we have a day off tomorrow. Anybody want to go to the movies? My the, a, a big fan of mine has come here. He owns an old movie theater. It's like 1,400 seats with a big balcony, big plush seats. And we can go watch a movie. This is like an Elvis moment. We have the whole theater. There's nobody else there. Two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Free popcorn. <laughs> yeah. So I say, I'm in, Ringo's got Barb, I'm in, and I think Mark Farner comes with me. And so we meet, and all Ringo wants to do is come to a gym with the guys and work out. He puts them in disguise. He wants to just go, and, and where are you going See to eat later? Guys, Wendy's? Yeah. Let's go to Wendy's. Like, he eats like th- 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 five-star chef stuff all the time, <laughs> yeah. right? He just wants to do guy stuff. So we go to this movie, and it's uh, uh, the uh, th- Braveheart, the Mel Gibson thing, and it's brand new. It's like the premiere of the movie. And so we go in and we're meeting the guy who owns the movie theater. He's giving us candy and popcorn and all that kind of stuff. And so Ringo and Barb go and they sit right in the middle of the theater. And Ringo's pretty small. He's like 5'5 or 5'6 and 150 pounds. I'm like 6'2. At that (laughs) time, I'm big. I'm like 300 pounds. I go sit right in front of him (laughs) just for fun. The movie hasn't started yet. And he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, excuse me, sir, but you forgot your f***ing sombrero. (laughs) (laughs) Well, <laughs> so i say just a minute i walk out into the mall i buy a big hat i come back i put it on i go and sit in front of him with the sombrero and he goes you got me on that then he came and sat in front of me but that he has this humor yeah that was re- uh, absolutely amazing that uh, i think winnipeg has a very similar sarcastic humor canadian humor is very the, similar to english the humor. other guys in the band didn't get i get that because he hires a private plane somewhere and we go into this plane and it's leaking and we're all sitting there huddled up and the lights go out in this uh, private plane its in the Northeast It's around New York because we've got to get from somewhere to somewhere really fast and there's something wrong with the commercial flight. And we're all sitting there hunched up in this... In this dark thing like this, with guys knee to knee like this, and I say to him, "This is like Das boat. Do you ever see that movie of <laughs> yeah. all the German guys? There's bananas hanging there, and they're they're in this thing, and they can't <laughs> breathe because everything." And he go and he starts laughing, and he starts doing jokes, and the other guys don't get it, right? And he would say other Liverpudlian jokes to me as well that they wouldn't get. Mm-hmm. Cause, uh, there's some some sort of, some tie of tie I'm because sure as Canadians, we used to love all the old Norman Wisdom and Monty Python stuff, yeah. and that came way, way, way.
0: The states were very much behind. We used to get that on the C- we used to get that on the CBC, which yes. is a derivative of the BBC. Yeah, exactly. Faulty Towers. I've been watching that since I was eight years old. And you keep—it's like the honeymooners. You just watch it over and over. Yes, and over. Yeah. it's actually funny because I had a real good connection with Lemmy because of that because he was oh. a big Faulty Towers fan and so was I. But you connect right away, yeah. like you did with Ringo. Yeah, yeah, that's great. They had the opportunity to play. Do you think we mentioned this earlier? Do you think I mean, with all these experiences that you're talking about, and not just in one situation, but two? Will you get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Probably not. But why? Why do you say that? I, I can't. I can't. Understand. Well, it hasn't
1: happened yet. Yeah, I've met all the criteria with both bands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've sold fifty million records. I started in nineteen sixty-two. Right, Shake On Over was top twenty in Billboard in sixty-four. Yeah, I've had number one hits. Um, <laughs> Plenty of them. Other bands are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Other people who are friends of mine who I
0: don't think have ever rocked or ever rolled. <laughs> <laughs> <Where you're going. laughs> but, but you see that Kiss finally gets in. Rush finally gets in. He's, he is That was a big move. For Rush? And- the first Canadian
1: band. Wow. Rock band. They ignore Canada. Good point. America ignores... The, actually, Rolling Stone magazine ignores Canada. I mean, besides Neil Young.
0: I mean, probably nobody Well, really Neil Young became American
1: there. in 67, oh, okay. 68. Right, right, right. When he moved
0: down there. He still lives down there. Right. He's in Malibu now with Daryl Hannah, but... Because I would there's like you know, it's one of those ones where I look up Guess Who and BTO, and it's like neither one in the Hall of Fame. It doesn't really matter, but just as a, as a, as a point of contention for a band that's done everything like you said. I mean, it's just, it's inevitable at some point, you know. I don't think it'll ever happen. Really? Because Jan Wenner, maybe not a fan. No, he's not a fan. Mm. Uh, I don't think there's
1: been anything printed for me in Rolling Stone since that article I told you about, 1970. about me being on fire in 19, <laughs> August of 1970. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of it. I mean, it's pretty obvious. The, the Not just him, not just John Werner, but everybody there, who they like and who they don't like. Mm-hmm. Musically, politically, whatever. It's a real advertisement for for what they like, unfortunately, it's 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 a Bible mm-hmm. for America. Everybody reads that, follows the music. How they create a guy out of nowhere, out of some mystique kind of thing—a guy who's in a band that doesn't make it becomes right. Father John Misty, and suddenly he becomes a big hit because of this mysterious thing. He's in a cabin in Wisconsin. They make mm-hmm. a big deal out of it, and everybody goes and buys his album. Right, right, and right. other bands that have had one or two hits are inducted into the Hall of Fame, and they've only one year over the qualifications because yeah. you got to be. To, 25 band, years, 20 years or old yeah, or 25 yeah. years old i don't if we haven't been in now there's no there's no point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think if we did i don't even know if i would want it or right. accept it what right, the, right 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 what's right. the point i am what i am i am where yeah. i am in the world yeah. and i'm pretty happy
0: do you still um i know with countless reunions and stuff do you ever have any email back and forth with burton at all or any kind of conversation or <laughs> burton's famous for not returning phone calls
1: oh. or emails <laughs> okay but I send him one every January, every December 31st. Yeah. Because his birthday is New Year's Eve. That's cool. Yeah. So I hope you had a good year. Mm-hmm. I'm still your buddy. Yeah. We have nicknames for each other that nobody else knows. Um, which is, if somebody's ever told you to, um, To get your porn name. Uh Yeah. you get your pet, your first pet, and the street you used to live on. That's right, yeah. Right? I'm Joe Wordsworth. Mine was Hutch Hartford, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty cool. You guys created something uh, that's going to last forever, so that's cool that you have... I know when I hear
1: these eyes, and she's coming down in no time, American woman, on the radio, they have got something there that modern music doesn't have. I'm recorded by real musicians playing Mm -hmm. in real time that really, the tracks speed up and slow down. They breathe as we get tired or not tired or get more energy. Uh, it's just like running a marathon. You pace yourself and you have little bursts and you have little rest mm-hmm. periods and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what our whole life has been. And that's what the Guess Who stuff and BTO was. As well, right, right, right. It's like real natural stuff. And that's why I'm really pleased about this new album I got. Cut it with my band, done out of pure joy. I was coming out of a bro- two broken relationships, coming out of a health issue, my guitar player had a health issue. My bass player's fiancé had a health issue. My God. And all we did was get together like we were teenagers and play Beatle music, George Harrison's music. And it was like, that was the joy of our lives for 10 days. And it, when you hear the music, the joy is in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whether anybody likes it or not, but I think they will. They're, they're, they're yeah. loving the whole idea. I and everybody's saying, what a brilliant idea to put out a George album on a 75th birthday. That wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. That was done for me having an issue where I was paralyzed on my left side and told I'd never play guitar again. And that's just earlier this year. Mm. And me working out of it and getting this hand back and practicing my own songs in the middle of the night going, I need some help. I think I'll try a George Harrison song. Mm-hmm. And
0: out of that came all these weird arrangements of George Harrison songs. Right, right, right. Last two questions. What's your favorite George song and what's your favorite song to play live?
1: I think my favorite George song is, You Like Me Too Much. Oh, interesting. And I Like You. Yeah. And we did a incredible version of it that everyone is saying is going to be a single. So to Mm. have a single at this day and age (laughs) time is pretty weird. (laughs) But a week before that, I had gone to see the Gypsy Kings, and I was so infected by that rhythm of the Gypsy Kings doing Bombaleo and all those songs Mm -hmm. of theirs and not the old way, but the way they do it (laughs) (laughs) with the great rhythm guitars. I just came back and did this George Harrison song. You like me too much. And I like you like the Gypsy Kings and everybody just goes nuts over it. And and then they say, do you know that Spanish music is a big thing now? There's this hit that has a billion downloads.
0: Yeah. yeah. Dispacio. Dispacio. Justin Bieber. Something like that. (laughs) Another
1: Canadian. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And my favorite song to play is Taking Care of Business, of mine, because I'm always amazed at how I wrote that song with myself. I wrote it in 67. It went nowhere, turned down by Burton Cummings and many Guess Who albums and Brave Belt and BTO. And suddenly this moment happened on stage, putting together that hook in there and how I went to sing it, which was a one take just to be a give Fred Turner a breather, mm-hmm. that I was his pinch hitter or pinch, you know, yeah, for yeah, that yeah, yeah. one song on an album that it became kind of a classic party kind of song. And what happened after that, which I haven't even told you yet. I don't know if you have time. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. We go to record the song just after I've written it on stage, just in North Vancouver. We go to record it two weeks later in Seattle and it's a one take. We've done two songs that day. It's like midnight. I sing the song once. That's good enough to put on the album. Fred will get a break done. Mm-hmm. There's a knock at the door of the studio. We're in uh, K Smith Studios in Seattle. And uh, we're in A, Steve Miller's in B doing Fly Like an Eagle and War and Sieg doing Why Can't We Be Friends album. There's a knock at the door, I open the door. There's a guy there about six foot three, six foot four, a bit taller than me. Big frizzy beard, frizzy hair, army cap, army fatigue's on, he's holding three pizzas. Did you guys order the pizza? No, we're going home, we've been here for like 14 hours down the hall ask for steve and down there ask for jerry we're putting on our jackets it's like february or something it's really cold open the door the guy's standing there again you got rid of the pizzas? yes i did what can i do for you he's standing there with this look on his face he says i'm not really a pizza delivery guy i'm a piano player i've been listening to the song through the door for like 10 minutes I said, he said, I really like it. It's great. It really rocks. I said, yeah, thanks. I wrote it on stage two weeks ago. And he said, it sounds like it could use a piano. I said, yeah, I'd love to get Little Richard or Elton John, but they're both in LA right now going crazy at the Grammys or something in LA. (laughs) And he says, I'm a piano player. Will you give me a shot? I said, that's pretty impossible, man. We're tired. We're going home. We've been here like putting in a lot of hours. And he said, please, man, it won't take long. I, I've written down a chart. He's got a napkin. There's no chart for taking care of business. It's three chords. <laughs> There's that napkin again. He's <laughs> got Yes. And so I say, okay, well, I'll tell you what, we'll give you a shot. Like we're putting on our coats. Yeah. Normally, when you get a piano player, you get a tuner, he tunes the piano. You put in stereo mics. You close trying to get an Elton John sound. We opened a piano in the hallway, well, stand up, threw in a mic. Covered it with a blanket, said, do your take. Do a bit of Elton John, Dr. John, Little Richard, Jerry Lewis. Give me a potpourri of every piano player that's ever rocked out on a record. Which normally you'd go back later and pick and say, I like that verse. Can you do a whole take of more Jerry Lewis stuff or Little Richard, the double time, double thing? He played the one take. I said, man, we're so tired. Thanks a lot. I was going to erase it the next day. We're going to go home. We went home. Coming the next day, Charlie Fatch flies in to hear the album i say to the engineer when you play taking care of business don't play the piano track. we hadn't even heard a playback of it we don't know what the guy played halfway through the song the guy pushes up the volume control and in comes the piano and charlie goes oh my god what's that bto with the piano you'll get elton john real estate on this on the radio because all you idiots are guitar <laughs> bass and drums go back to the beginning we go back to the beginning and we play the whole thing And he goes that's magical he never plays the same thing twice i go yeah it's like a total accent he's playing a mixture of four or five piano players and he said Put it on the album, just leave it the way it is. And who's playing the piano? And I said, I have no idea. A pizza delivery guy played piano on it. He says, No, you're kidding. <laughs> I said, Charlie, I'm not kidding. A guy delivered pizza here. He asked to play <laughs> piano. I don't know who he is. You got to find out. He's got to be in the union. We got to give him credit. This is a party song, just like he did with the instant. This is a career song. So I go, Oh my God! So I go down the hall to Steve Miller. And go, Steve, where'd you get pizza last night? He said. It wasn't us, it must have been Jerry. I go into Jerry and it's like war and the room is full of like smoke. Weed, yeah. <laughs> Weed. So when you leave the studio, be it for three or four hours to go and crash your own trunk, somebody comes and cleans up. So nobody has any record of where the pizza came from that night. So I go to the woman at the front door desk and I say, please do me a favor. The Yellow Pages, you started at Antonio's. I'll go halfway through at Mario's under Italian restaurants and phone the pizza places within three blocks of the studio and ask if they have a delivery boy that looks like Fidel Castro. <laughs> All I could know, the guy had this big frizzy beard and hair. We find the guy. His name was Norman Durkee. That's the piano you hear on Taking Care of Business. One take mm. by one guy.
0: That was three pizza. He then
1: went on to be Bette Midler's music director on her first North American tour. And when the Ringo star All-Star Band tour ended... In 95, or 96, whenever that was, at in Hollywood, at the Greek Theater, the pianist for the L.A. Philharmonic was there, and his name was Norman Durkee. Things go in circles. Absolutely. Yeah. Man. <laughs> and we played uh, Tacoma about nine months ago, and Norman Durkee had passed away, but his brother came, and I did a whole tribute to him, yeah. and everybody gave him a standing ovation. So that's the amazing piano you hear on
0: that track. What a great story, man. Randy, you're awesome, man. Legendary guy. Thanks, man. Thanks again to fellow Winnipegger Randy Backman. His new album is called By George, By Backman. It's a tribute album to the late George Harrison. Randy covered a bunch of George's songs, reinvented them, and put the Backman spin on them. The album is out on Friday, so go to randybackman.com for all details and to buy tickets to one of the dates on his current Canadian tour. He puts on a great show, and you're going to know almost every single song I guarantee it. That's right, taking care of business. And I want to tell you guys one more thing. Uh, my old friend Taz was on the podcast last week. He was a great guest, telling great stories about his days at ECW and WWE go check that out at Westwood One and iTunes uh, we talked about a couple of matches that we did together too uh, very very cool uh, show but Taz is uh, hosting a new radio show for cbs sports radio it's called taz and the moose and it's on monday through friday live from 6 a.m to 9 a.m on cbs sports radio give it a listen go check that out thanks to taz and thanks to all of you who have bought tickets for selling tickets uh, in droves it's insane uh, how many people are buying tickets for the uh, judas rising tour with fozzy obviously through fire and uh, santa cruz we start uh, tonight, February 28th in New Orleans. It's going to be huge. March 1st is Houston. March 2nd, Dallas. March 3rd, Lubbock. March 4th, El Paso. March 7th, Tucson. March 8th, Phoenix, Tempe. Uh, March 9th, San Diego. The 10th is Los uh, Angeles. The 11th is Las Vegas. 13th in San Francisco. 15th in Portland. 16th in Seattle. That's the first leg of the uh, Judas Rising 2018 tour. Go get your tickets now at FozzyRock.com. Uh, Dayton is already already sold out, many more are close to selling out, uh, VIP in New Orleans tonight is sold out, VIP in San Diego is sold out, go to FozzyRock.com to check out all information on tickets for the show and the best VIP in the business where you will get uh, a free mini concert a free uh, f- uh, signed picture, a free photo with us we'll meet you, we'll greet you, we'll treat you we'll sign uh, a couple things for you as well so come join us, FozzyRock.com and also speaking of shows I'm bringing the words of Jericho back to the UK this spring, of course talking with my Uh, spoken word shows May twenty first in Glasgow, still some tickets available for that. Uh, May twenty second, Manchester sold out in seven hours. May twenty third in London, standing room uh, tickets available only. Get them at InsideTheRopes.co.uk. It's a great night uh, of entertainment. I will be doing the words of Jericho on the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at sea as well. Uh, go to Chris Jericho Cruise to find out all information. We leave from Miami to the Bahamas on October twenty seventh, and for as low as one hundred fifty bucks, you can reserve your cabin at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. And once you book. Your cab, remember everything is all inclusive concerts, comedy shows, live podcasts, meet and greets, autograph signings. Uh, the Sea of Honor tournament it's all included. The food is included, everything included. You'll be able to hang out with everybody. There's no sequestered area, we're all walking around hanging out. I'll be there. Jim Ross, Jerry the King Lawler, So Calval, Mick Foley, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Ray Mysterio, Conan, Disco Inferno, and Shane Helms from Keeping It 100. Beyond the Darkness from Cole uh, will be there telling some scary tales. Cole Cabana and Marty DeRosa doing the Unprofessional Wrestling show it's hilarious. Don Callis and Paul Lazenby be doing kill in the town Brad Williams, Ron Funches, Busted Open Radio will be there. Raven will be there. Phil Campbell, The Bastard Sons. King, The Stir from Atlanta, The Dave Spivak Project, Speewe, his new videos, uh, Get Out of My House, go check that out. The Cherry Bomb, Shoot to Thrill, ACDC Tribute Band, Blizzard of Ozzy, uh, Ozzy Tribute Band, and Fozzy will be playing, of course. Uh, Painless is already in the top 20. Go watch the Painless video. That's at a million views in just uh, 30 days. Lots of great stuff going on, of course, with the piece de resistance on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at C the ring of honor sea of honor tournament uh, the winner gets a uh, title shot at the world uh, heavyweight championship in the future kenny omega is going to be there wrestling on the ship and in the tournament. The Young Bucks, the villain Marty Skrull, Cody, Adam Page, the entire Bullet Club. Well, before they fragment, the Briscoe Brothers, Dalton Castle, Frankie Gazzari, Christopher Daniels, Jay Lethal, Delirious, uh, Brandy Rhodes will be there. So many more. We got more talent coming. We're not going to stop until we sell it out. We are moving towards a sell dot ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Go check it out now and coming up on Friday live from knoxville tennessee glenn jacobs runs for mayor talking about Kane, my old friend we have a great great time uh, in front of a sold out show so in front of the sold out crowd in knoxville tennessee we talk all things Kane and all things Gr- uh, glenn jacobs for mayor it's going to be on friday it's a great show don't you dare miss it in the meantime and in between time stay hard stay hungry, peace love and hugs and a big yeah boy we'll see you on friday